Welcome to the California Probation Connection. Today, I am joined by Chief Sam Leach from Calaveras County to talk about the art and science behind case planning in probation work, or more importantly, how case planning is not just data-driven, but is rather deeply connected human work. Hope you enjoy. Thanks for joining us, Chief Leach. So happy to have you here. Um, We're just going to jump right in and start talking about our favorite topic, probation. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, how are you doing today? Doing great. Thank you for having me. Appreciate being here. Great. Great. Well, thank you. Um, You know, I think probably we should just start where we hear a lot about probation is misunderstood sometimes, or maybe not understood at all because there's doesn't even register, you know, for some people, what is probation? So what do you think is probably the most misunderstood aspect of the probation work and why? I think it's actually the totality of it. I think it's the complexity Mm -hmm. and dimensionality to our work. Um, It's so layered and it's really difficult for people to understand probation when they're looking through a specific lens. You know, we're so multidimensional. So if you're, you know, when I say a specific lens, uh, your way of thinking about or defining probation, if you're a victim of crime, is very different than if you're the parent of a juvenile who's committed a crime, is very different than the lens that you're looking through if you're Uh, somebody who's making funding decisions, like a county board member or a legislator, right? Versus somebody who's in more of a, you know, specific interest where they're advocating for certain policies. Um, So all of those lenses are very different and I could go on and on. Sure. The most misunderstood thing about probation is how we're kind of the objective meeting point of all of those things and how we have to really have balance in seeing through not just each lens when we need to, but really kind of harmonizing all of them at the same time. Um, That's very complex work. And what gets misunderstood is when that's too difficult for people to wrap their heads around. And so they oversimplify it. Yes. Something that I know we probably battle about all the time, right? Mm -hmm. You know, I'm constantly trying to oversimplify it because trying to communicate that important work that gets done, you know, um, it's not an easy task. But you've, you know, you've kind of hit on something that is interesting to me, as you usually do. (laughs) The harmonizing, I think that's that's an excellent point. and, And that's everybody knows harmonizing is complex and not everybody can do so. Mm -hmm. And you just spoke about different lenses. Maybe we can talk a little bit about like how does probation interact with each of those different, um, through those different lenses? What does it look like when you're having a conversation uh, in probation with somebody who has been a victim of a crime? What does probation do for them, connect with them? Mm -hmm. Um, What does that look like? Well, I think it's high level uh, empathy work, right? Okay. We're, we're really in the business of, of what I would say is emotional labor. Like we have to be attuned with all of the clients and stakeholders that we work with. You know, we have to be emotionally attuned with them. Right. And so I, I think that's where it starts. 
um, the process of working with a victim, do I have enough empathy to be in their shoes? Right. And right. yet, do I have enough, I guess, temperance to be able to communicate with them uh, some of the other considerations and lenses to what we do, which is never an easy discussion. You know, this work isn't for everybody. Right. So it's it's the balance of some of those things. You know, are, are we able to see kind of these opposite competing needs in our society that we're trying to, you know, bring together in some way that works for everybody, that both brings, um, you know, repair, restoration for the victims and also helps um, the offender sort of move forward in life so that there's not more victims down the line. And so it's the process of always, you know, attuning emotionally um, and then balancing that with communication and explanation and kind of putting a lot of the, the very complex things we do into words that people can uh, more readily process and accept. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. And I think the, um, you know, the fact that I know in a lot of the courses that we train on, you know, uh, we really incorporate the emotional intelligence piece of it. Mm -hmm. And it seems like you're hitting on some of those pieces. Uh, the other thing that I'm hearing is the maybe the one of the roles that probation does is act as that translator between the various lenses of, mm -hmm. of people who come in contact with the system and how to maybe have that victim of crime kind of see how the work might need to uh, look and and be received uh, with other pieces of uh, the system and uh, people affected by the system. Yeah. Uh, translator is a good word. I, yeah. think, I think in one word, you said it better than I did. Well, so years of practice. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is. But uh, but, you know, when one of the things that I think probably also uh, I've heard you talk about is kind of the personalization, mm -hmm. the individualized approach that our probation officers have to kind of take it with their cases. What does that mean? Can you, can you translate some of that for us? Uh, yeah. Well, speaking in translations is easier when it's in theory, right? Right. True. And one of the things I love to always remind people is, you know, it's really difficult to go from theory to practice. Um, so Great point. That, that's where things really start to get messy. Mm -hmm. Right. So it, it's easy to explain on paper. Well, this is, this is what you should be doing when you're making those translations, right? It's another thing to actually do it once emotion gets involved. Oh. Because when it's, when it's very, um, uh, I guess, verbal, you know, in a, in a way where we're just trying to explain things, that's very different than when, you know, our more primitive parts of our brain are activated because we've been harmed by somebody and we want revenge. Right, right. It's very different than that protective role that a parent has when they're worried about their, you know, 16 year old child that they love potentially being uh, locked away in a juvenile detention center and, and the feeling that you have as a parent when that's being taken away from you. So it's, it's one thing to speak in these kind of uh, more, you know, theoretical situations. It's another thing when you're present because emotion gets involved. Right. So, you know, one of the keys to that in Moving from theory to an actual personalized practice that you asked me about mm -hmm. um, is to also be in a good emotional place when you're doing it. So it's one thing to learn the technical skills like motivational interviewing right, um, and case planning and taking a lot of courses in you know, trauma-informed care and how to respond to people that have been through trauma. Um, 
you know, more importantly though, is are you emotionally present? Are you here? And do you have the temperance? Do you have the balance? Do you have the emotional presence to just be here with someone and help them through that and help them kind of come down to the point where, you know, they can process and they can be successful in something like a cognitive behavioral work group because they're not as elevated as they were at the point that they, you know, met you or that the conversation started. So in moving from theory to the actual personal work, um, you kind of have to come alongside them. So when I made the comment earlier about attunement, that's what I mean. It's yeah. attuning with, you know, the person that you're uh, working with or sure. the team of people sometimes, the group of people sometimes. It's a family. Uh, sometimes you're bringing a victim and the offender together. I mean, there's a, a lot of very complex work that goes into it. And it's sort of developing a balanced approach with all of those individuals. So you're never really taking sides, but you can attune with them and help them, uh, you know, have a better emotional response so that they can then also make a better uh, mental response to what it is they need to do. Yeah, no. And, and you know, something that strikes me with what you're saying is the, the um, individualized nature. So you could have someone who on the, the theory, you know, on the mm -hmm. paper has these factors and has committed this crime and it has this much time to to serve um but depending on where they are in their process emotionally and and kind of i mean we, let's be honest we all kind of shut down under trauma under stress and so it's hard to receive the treatment that maybe the matrix is saying is the appropriate cognitive you know uh, mm -hmm. uh therapy and and various different things and that probation officer probably has to really understand and assess that to to try to get the most out of it and adjust and adjust mm -hmm. to to try to to uh bring folks along to, to get the most out of the treatment. Well, and, and with everything we've learned, what, what you just mentioned mm -hmm. um, in the matrix, right? We're not talking about the movie. We're right. talking about, that's a good you know, point. We should be, we should be clear. <laughs> risk and, saint, risk and uh, needs and uh, yes. sanctions matrices and, and these kind of things. Like there's a little bit of science behind sure. some of that work. Right. Uh, but there's a reason why that work can't be solely done by computers and artificial intelligence. One, because general AI is is nowhere near uh, ready for that kind of thing, right? right? You can't even really use specific machine learning to come to these uh, kind of deterministic decisions. You can use them to help guide, right? Like there, there's right. enough science to say, well, it looks like it could be this, but then you still need kind of that clinical approach, right? Otherwise we'd all be on WebMD at this point, solving all of our problems. So and we know that that's work. dangerous, right? We know that's <laughs> dangerous. But for some reason, people view the work that we do in case management and case planning a little bit differently. And that gets back to me saying people right. want to oversimplify it. Right. They think they have the answers for how and why people change. And that th there are some universal uh, truths might be a heavy word, but there are some universal themes of how and why people change. The problem right. is when you get down to the individual work, everybody is so unique. And so it's those more ethereal humanistic elements where you really have to connect with and align with this one particular human. And sometimes the models we have don't work for that one person. Right. It's just not so categorical as some would like us to believe. It's really deeply connected human work. 
And that's what makes it special. Now, that doesn't mean that it's all art. It's kind of the balance of right. the art and the science, yeah. right? It's I can't just come in with no training and be a nice guy and care about somebody and do great work. That can get us in trouble too. Mm-hmm. It's the balance of those two things. But in recent years, um, we've seen how things have shifted um, a little bit away from uh, people accepting that there's an art to what we do. And because of some of the fancy empirical tools that get used in our business, it's swung really far toward the data side, sometimes a little too far, where people sort of lose the humanistic side of things. Right. So that's one of the things that, and I think that's normal, things yeah. undulate. Sure, um, sure. But I think in time, we're going to see that it's really, how do you synthesize those two? How do you take the art and the science and really do the best casework where it's it's rooted in the best science that we we can understand and it's complemented by sort of that artistic connection between humans. So how do you translate that as a chief to your your people and 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 get them to understand it's not simply I can't simply just tell you this is what you do here's your checklist get all of that done and you're done for the day. Um because I think you've touched on it's it's part of the magic. It's part of what makes it special. Uh, you know, it is that thing that I know we're trying to translate to policymakers, to mm-hmm. the community as to why it's so important that probation kind of follow this route and be supported in the type of art and science balance that you're talking about. How how does it look? How does you do that in a department? Yeah, and I don't know that it's super formulaic there. I, I, exactly. I, I'm not going to pretend that I have all the answers. I know what some of the answers aren't, mm-hmm. um, but but I'll throw you a few things that that great. I think are a little more universal. One is hire the right people. Okay, uh, have a great screening process for the folks that we're bringing in. Mm-hmm. You know, I I can assure you that when my officers and supervisors and assistant chief when they're running interview panels looking for probation officers. Um, one of the things that they'll walk away with is, well, would Sam think that this person can do case planning the way that he likes it done? Right. Uh, that's great in a small department like Calaveras. Right. Exactly. Okay. As things get bigger, it gets harder to do that. And it gets harder to be so selective. Um, so you need some decision making processes in what are we looking for in people who can do case planning and connect with humans in this way. Mm-hmm. It's not as simple as saying social work types. It's not quite that simple. It's a little different. Right. So hire the right people, invest a ton in them. You know, I remember the days when we were signing up for eight hour classes in June because we didn't have our 40 hours of STC training. And we would go take some course that wasn't really specifically relevant to what we were doing. Now, you know, most of my officers you know, we're averaging 100 plus hours of training per year. And that's just classroom training. You know, that's not the one on one mentoring that people are getting that's very different. So Mm -hmm. invest in them. Um, One of the things I like to tell my officers uh, that works in a smaller department, but I wouldn't recommend in a large department is, you know, we like to have chefs, not cooks. I say this a lot to them. Okay, explain that. (laughs) What I mean by that is I want to develop their wisdom. I want them to know what doesn't work when you work with people? What are the things that we do that could potentially make people worse so that they can at least first do no harm? That's the first step of our case planning, case management model. First, do no harm. Once you get to that point, which sounds simple, 
Sure. But really, there's a lot of science behind the things that have happened historically in correctional systems, community corrections, social work, behavioral health, across all of these fields where we can look and say, well, what are some of the ways 20 years ago, 30 years ago, where we may have had the best intentions, but we were doing things in a way that sometimes made people worse or brought more people into the system, or at the very least just didn't help people exit the system when they should have. You know, and, and yeah. if you look at our trajectory in California, it's changed so much. It has changed so much over the last, you know, really 10 to 15 years. Right. Um, but I think it was building up quite a bit before that. Sure. Um, so what do you mean by that? Because you've had the opportunity, I know, not just to go around the state, around mm-hmm. the country, but internationally to talk about what we what we're doing here in California. What what do you mean by the change? What does that look like? Sure. Well, I have to rewind for a second, Uh-oh. though. Did I get something wrong? I got, I got you excited with the California talk. I know that. <laughs> I know you, Karen. Yeah. Um, but I just want to finish with, with the but other answer yes. and say, look, you can hire the right people. Yes. You can invest in them. You can develop their wisdom and get them thinking like chefs where, okay, they know a little bit about the science and now they're going to go create something. And that can still fall apart. So you still have to have rules and incentives at the end to deal with the the folks that we need to not have in our system. Yeah. You know, and, and so I think you, you put those things together and you can develop a pretty balanced team. Um, and then you, you know, again, rules and incentives. What are the ways right. that, that our officers um, can feel that they're doing meaningful work and that they're connecting with the clients and also with each other? Is this deep, meaningful work? Is this something that they feel a sense of connection to and where they're helping people move forward in life? And when they start to feel that, it's a different career. It's the career that I've loved. Right. And when I didn't feel that, it was the career that I couldn't wait to get away from. So that's kind of what we've tried to cultivate with yeah. our with our folks. Now, what's interesting now moving back to the you know, what is California right. done differently? What kind of changes have we seen? Um, well, some of it is actually in what I've already described. And some of it is in the reduction of huge numbers. I remember 15 years ago, people would ask me, well, what, what do you think the future holds for us in probation? You know, they still ask the same questions today. True. And at the time I was saying, I think we're going to do more meaningful work with less people. And today, I'm not sure that my answer is that much different. Hmm. Okay. I do think it's narrowing, though. You know, when you look at the, the number of people that we would have on probation caseloads when I started in this field, right? Um, whether it was juvenile caseloads of 100 plus mm-hmm. and placement caseloads of 60 to 90 kids 20-something years ago. Right. And, you know, adult caseloads sometimes of 600 plus people. Absurd numbers. Yes. Think of all the work that I just described. How do you do that with those numbers? Right. You couldn't. Right. And it's emotional labor. This is emotionally intense work if you're doing it right. Yeah. And and you have to be at your best. So when you're facing those kind of numbers, it's incredibly difficult. So we've so, we've seen some change in that, just in the numbers, and that's that's helped with doing it in the doing the work right. in the way that you would suggest is is the best way to do it. It's it's one thing, right? Just getting the numbers down helps, and that has happened, frankly, through um, some smart, balanced approach to mm-hmm. how we approach EBP. 
you know, as we started right. doing better assessment tools and balancing that right. with, with, um, you know, kind of our views of what works, yeah. um, you know, complementing our professional discretion, our professional judgment with those scientific tools. I think the balance of those things has got us to a point where we're bringing less people in the door, but we're still bringing the right people in the door by the right people. I mean, folks that we know aren't going to turn around without some interventions. Right. So that's been a big part of this. It's the front gate controls is the way I like to describe it. Um, and then, you know, we've invested heavily in things like motivational interviewing, things like case planning, things like CBT, um, even, you know, uh, having clinicians who are embedded in probation departments across the state, sometimes in the jails, like our work through stepping up with mentally ill folks. Right. Um, and then, you know, we have incorporated data into the decisions we make which, you know, 20 plus years ago, um, it was very different. It was very different. Yeah. No, that, yeah. that does make sense, you know, and, and, and it is, you know, it, it will be interesting to see where we are 20 years from now. But, you know, I think there's also some danger, as you were just talking about, how it's natural for things to kind of go one way and then kind of, um, you know, maybe readjust or you start to see some swing the other way. I, I worry personally a, about losing some of that kind of uh, emotional labor that has been so invested by, uh, by you know, the workforce, by the leadership um, in trying to really make that work, you know, and, and so I think it's really important. And I know you jealously guard that, you know, and, and try to guard us against that. So, um, so yeah, no, I think that, um, that was a, a really helpful description on, on a lot of the things that uh, try to understand why personalization of the work that we do is the key to making it successful is what it sounds like mm -hmm. you're saying. Yeah. And, and it's something that no matter how much I explain it, in this podcast, if people haven't fallen asleep by now, uh, <laughs> is that it's different when you do it. You know, I, I mean, most of us can think back to being in college and taking undergrad psych courses and, you know, even right. folks who've gone and got their MFT and those kind of things. It's different when you do it. Right. It's so different to move from theory to practice because we are dealing with curveballs left and right all day. We're dealing with people who are incredibly uh, needy and and often incredibly damaged and need us need our help and our partnership in, you know, helping them move forward in life. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's one of the reasons why, you know, a big part of the intended audience of this discussion is our people because it is, it is hard work and um, not everybody can do it. I mean, and um, you know, I think, you know, I've had an opportunity over Many, many years to to run across and work with a lot of uh, your people and it, both in Calaveras mm -hmm. as well as people across the state. And there is something special about probation officers. So for people listening who haven't met one before, it would be important to seek one out uh, because they, they really do a very, very important work. Mm -hmm. um, let's talk a little bit more about case planning just in general, I think, that and, and case management. And, um, and I think we uh, hear about case planning and management in other areas of um, practice, not just in probation, for example. So how would you describe it for probation beyond just maybe the individualized um, discussion we were just having? Is there anything 
I mean, and not to kind of compare it to other professions necessarily, but people might understand it in other professions more than they would ours. So how would you describe that? Well, that's a big part of the problem, right? It's right. So uh, our favorite word, amorphous. Yes. You know, yes. It really is. It's so uh, difficult to define because it already comes with some prepackaged definitions in other people's minds based right. on the lens that they're seeing it from. Uh, exactly. Here's what I love about probation case planning, and then I'll give you my definition. What I love about it is we still have quite a bit of autonomy in connecting with somebody and helping them move forward. Right. Yeah. So the folks that we work with our clientele, that's really what case planning is. It's the process of helping them move forward. And we're not bound by so much of the layered bureaucracy that some of my partners in HHS have to deal with. Oh, it's a good example. Some of my yeah. partners in, in behavioral health and uh, child welfare in so many other systems, uh, and frankly, in the medical model as well, where they're having to deal with diagnoses and funding and all these other complex lenses. Now, that's not to say that we don't have some of those issues too to contend with, and some of them are well-intentioned, but things tend to get more bureaucratic over time, right? And so the more and more these things get constrained, the more we get away from the good intention of how can I help you move forward in life right? That should be at the, at the center of it. It is a, it, it's their case plan. It's their plan to move forward. I'm just a guide that's here to help them. Now to get into just a little bit of the technical stuff, here's my model for case planning, right? It's, it's pretty, uh, it, it's definitely industry speak a little bit, but I already said the first one, there's five rules here. Number one, first do no harm. You have to, if you're going to be doing case management with somebody, I expect you to study the research in our field. As a case carrying probation officer, I expect you to spend time reading, learning, watching stuff like this, um, attending trainings, mm -hmm. learning about the things that we do that could potentially make somebody worse. At least don't do that. <laughs> First, do no harm. Uh, second, you're collaborating with the offenders. It is their case plan. You're collaborating with them to help improve their chances of desisting from crime. Uh, we're targeting their specific criminogenic needs. That's number three, right? And, and we do that through smart interventions. So basically uh, goal setting mm -hmm. to, to slim it down a little bit. It's strategic goal setting. So we're helping, uh, and, and I've had our clients explain this back to me, which is hilarious. Oh, interesting. Saying, yeah, you know, my, my probation officer, so-and-so, uh, she really, she helped me do these goals and, you know, they had to be uh, smart. Have you ever heard of that? It's like specific and it's measurable and it's attainable and it's realistic and it's timely. And I'm like, oh, no, no, tell me about it. You know, <laughs> um, so it's that it's also, are we helping uh, number four is, are we helping them uh, build pro-social relationships in their life? Are we helping them build social capital? Um, look, folks have to graduate our, our system. They have to exit the system and not come back. That's a different threshold than we had when I started in the business. When I started in the business, it was much more about uh, having the offenders not reoffend while they were assigned to me. Right, right. That is a very narrow and uh, uh, kind of narcissistic approach, in my opinion. <laughs> to me, it, you have to care about the folks you work with enough 
to want them to not come back to you when they exit the system. Well, that's, that's sustainable sa- safety as well, which we talk about, right? And that's, yeah, that's the, if you're going to invest in all of the time that you just talked mm-hmm. about, it's important to have that at the end. And for them to do that, I believe that they also have to have number five. My last rule of mm-hmm. case planning is uh, habits and routines. What are their habits and routines? And have you worked with them in the case planning process to restructure what their habits are? You know, we're coming out of uh, Thanksgiving as of the recording. And you think, you know, I stopped at a farmhouse and bought a pie that's bigger than the rims on my truck, right? (laughs) Right. And I buy this thing knowing it's coming back to a household of two and and convincing myself that I'm going to eat, you know, one slice a day at the most, right? For a couple of days, we'll throw out what we don't eat. And, you know, how much of that pie have I eaten by 9 p.m.? You know, it's like three, four, I don't know, five large slices. It's a big pie. It's ridiculous. Habits and routines. Take the cognition and decision-making out of most of what we make. What were my decision rules in that moment? Now it's Thanksgiving, I don't mind. But if it's an everyday thing, if my habits are very undefined, um, you know, things get messy. Most of our day is not spent uh, making decisions with the forefront of our brain, right, with the frontal cortex. Most of our day is habitual. So if we learn, hey, what time do I get up? Do I make my bed? What do I eat for breakfast? Where am I headed off to next? You know, if you kind of layer and structure and work with people on these things that frankly, a lot of the folks we work with aren't used to that, um, it can really change things. Except we're going from a large pumpkin pie on Thanksgiving to things like fentanyl and methamphetamine. Right. Right. Very uh, just visceral uh, reactions to these terrible drugs. So it's so much more complex than I'm making it sound, but habits and routines are a huge part of case planning and it's working with people on restructuring those. Well, the other thing that, you know, I, I like about how you describe that is it, it definitely um, focuses the work on the need mm-hmm. of that person. Again, getting back to individualized because, you know, even, you know, even in the, in the health model, going back to a diagnosis, you know, okay, the diagnosis is X. So here's the protocol and you stick yeah. to that protocol no matter what. That just doesn't seem to get the job done uh, to, if, you know, uh, you kind of listen to the to the podcast and understanding what you're saying here, right? It has well, to be adjusted. It has to, you have to understand what, you know, the person might need in order to kind of get through that protocol. Because things like what you just described mm-hmm. are treating humans as remedial objects right. to be worked on instead of with. So remember I said collaborate with them. It's a partnership. It's their case plan. It's their life. And humans are very dynamic. This isn't some, you know, mechanistic kind of deterministic remedial object that we're trying to fix. It's really more, you know, and I guess we're getting more into philosophy here, but it's really not uh, life in the sense of a problem to fix. It's life in the sense of uh, kind of exploration exploring like the paradox and the, the the difficulties and kind of the abstractness of things and helping people, you know, bring that back to where they need to be. You know, 
all of that, and again, you know, I think you've explained so well why it's so important to collaborate with the uh, client, why it's so important to, um, because it makes the difference, right? It makes mm-hmm. the the change, the change, the lasting change. But to kind of step back for a minute and where you started in the discussion too is everybody comes to probation or the discussion of probation with a different lens. And Mm -hmm. we talked a little bit about the victim. You just mentioned, you know, it's not apple pie that one might indulge in. It is fentanyl uh, potentially. So we're talking about some, you know, potentially dangerous types Mm -hmm. of habits that we're trying Mm -hmm. to change. Um, and uh, and and some real world hurt and trauma that you know has been inflicted upon the community. So, why is it important? Because you could imagine how some people might say, "Well, that's great. That's what you know that person wants." But you know, we're not kind of balancing on the other side. Why is it important to the to to the victim to the community who uh, arguably has been harmed by the particular action that brought them to you? Well. It's important because we're all connected. That's humanity. Right. We're all connected. It's the same people coming back to the same communities that have to coexist. One of the benefits I have had of being in Calaveras is that, you know, I don't get the luxury of being separated from the clients that we work with. In fact, I get the luxury of, of, experiencing life with them. It's great. I I don't, I'm not removed from it. You know, I I've coached kids in little league that were on the same team as, you know, my daughter when she was growing up, Mm -hmm. uh, knowing that they were on some form of supervision. I've had the parents of those folks. I, I, you know, I'm every time I'm in the grocery store, I'm running into, uh, clients of ours. Uh, I think there's some advantage of that. I think I think there's some beauty in that of getting to do this kind of work in a way, in a place where it doesn't feel them and us. Right. And so I think in some areas that's helpful. It's, it's all uh, one group of humans. And so I think it's a little bit of once you get past the initial just rage, deep seated rage that Mm -hmm. some victims feel um, and some offenders feel and, uh, some people that want to tell us how to do our business feel and just everybody else. Uh, it's really, again, about harmonizing opposing truths. Mm-hmm. It can be true that you've committed a terrible crime. Right. That is unforgivable. And that we can make the community safer by helping that person move forward in life in a way where it doesn't happen again. Right, not just that the community is safer mm-hmm. for the time period that they're with you, right, on, on right. Uh, supervision. The point would be if there's some of that humanity kind of philosophy brought to the case planning, mm-hmm. you're, you're maybe getting at a better shot of, of a lasting safety. Um, and you know. most victims want that too. Sure. Most victims do not want other people to be harmed the way that they feel harmed. Of course. Yeah. It may take them a while to get there. Some never get there and that's okay. That's their right to feel that. Um, but that's the journey is we want to make sure that other people aren't harmed in the same way they are. Right. Right. Well, it's, 
you have done a fabulous job of explaining a complex, you know, uh, work that that kind of gets done and mm-hmm. and bringing to life something uh, a little more interesting around case planning. Because I will be honest, when when we set this up for, I'm all, wait, we're going to talk about case planning. How how exciting could that be? But I knew that uh, Chief Leach would make it exciting, and you have, and really kind of got me thinking about how how can we try to translate that to to others because you know your first rule is we've got to hire well you know we have to bring those people in mm-hmm. um, to this profession because the work is so important and mm-hmm. the impact of the work impacts the entire community and so uh, it's it's one that we can't it can't be underattended. So yeah, and and we have to recognize that the work we do is uh, a little bit about the research, but it's also a lot of you know poetry. It's also that human work, and the more that we kind of constrain the work that we do through rules and processes, right? The more you lose the poetry, and you just get the science, which doesn't work without the blend, you right. know. And and that's what I was trying to refer to when I talked about my partners at HHS. And not saying that all case planning is bad on that side. That's not the case at all. But they have to work with tougher and tougher bureaucratic rules that never relax. Right. More rules get added in, but they never get subtracted. And pretty soon it can become kind of a mechanical checkbox type of system. Or it just becomes very verbose because you have to put certain things in there to make sure that the funding is okay. Right. And so in probation, I, I really, you know, when you said I like to defend it. Mm-hmm. You know me from past discussions where I'm very passionate about making sure that we protect sort of the more humanistic elements of the case management that we do. Right. And it's not because we don't understand the science. It's quite the opposite. It's because we understand the balance. We understand that relativity between the science and the art. Right. And um, I, I feel like probation does great case planning, case management because of that. No, I... I really appreciate you kind of bringing us to that point because everything that you've talked about has been about balance, everything, you know, and, and, you know, the, we're not abandoning science, science and the protocols and the matrices and all of the other kind of lingo that we talked about here today is so, it's such an important foundation and we train on those things and that's, that is important, but it's not the the only thing that's important and it may not even be the most important thing based on what you just shared with us today um so that investment in in our people Mm -hmm. in order to uh, make sure that we can trust that professional you know uh, work that they do so well um is is what will get us to a better outcome which Mm -hmm. is what everybody wants to see regardless of which lens you come to the conversation Mm -hmm. about in probation so I, again, I really appreciate you sharing these thoughts um, with us and uh, kind of trusting us to, to kind of have this conversation. Um, we, uh, one final question we ask everyone, and I know you've listened, so you probably are prepared, uh, but we would love to know, because we've been talking to chiefs, you know, if you weren't in probation um, and doing this job that you're doing, what would you be doing? Mm. Well, I could take the easy way out and say I would probably be in some form of of social work or treatment. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know if that's true. I don't know. I'm not real good with alternative uh, sample paths, as they would say in math. 
Right. Uh, you know, I, I think probably I would be an entrepreneur, mm -hmm. some kind of art, some kind of entrepreneur. I like to create, you know, I, I don't really want to, you know, sit around making widgets. Right. Well, yeah. but as as is evidenced by a lot of the conversation we just had today, right? Yeah. I mean, and and we know you to be a very creative mm -hmm. uh, person, so that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. But you it's, get to be uh, creative in probation, and that's what we love. Yeah, it's it's been uh, such a great blessing to be in this field and to have the opportunity to to connect with people and do something that. Uh, as you could guess, if you fell asleep halfway through this, not everybody can do this. This is really complex, very dynamic, ever-changing work. We're never going to have all the answers. We're never going to have most of the answers. The answers we are going to have are going to be about how we do the work. Yeah. You know, are, are we having some level of integrity and virtue to what we do? Are we harmonizing opposing truths? Do we have the temperance to you know, right. be here and maintain through really difficult situations. Can we empathize with people? Like that's really the keys to this business. Indeed it is. And uh, thank you for, again, sharing these thoughts today and want to thank Chief Leach uh, from Calaveras County coming in to chat with us. And uh, we will uh, look forward to uh, checking back in with you at some point. Thanks, Karen. Appreciate you having me. Absolutely.